And how many visitors did you have at that time? The first year we did the passport in 2007, we had 189 people complete the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Oh my God. 189. You should send them a pin or something. <laughs> Hey, it's episode 250, another big number, Mark, and we're glad you're still here with us. And well, it's not much has really been going on because of COVID-19. It's putting a stop on pretty much everything except delivery services, and that's where we start this week's news. Alcohol delivery app Drizzly says it has seen sales explode in the last week of March, climbing 537% above the company's expectations. What's more is that 42% of those orders came in from new accounts. The company says that new buyers on the platform have jumped 900% year over year. The same goes for Minibar. Sales are up 143%, new buyers up 547%, and orders are up 100%, with an average order size up 22%. If you haven't had the chance yet, go listen to our podcast back on episode 248, when we had Drizzly CEO and founder Corey Rellis on the show to talk about his business. A recent study by economists at John Dunham & Associates estimates that America's wine and spirit wholesalers can expect to lose up to $921.4 million in uncollectible or difficult-to-collect receivables due to on-premise accounts such as restaurants, bars, and clubs that have been impacted by the shelter-in-place environment. In Massachusetts, craft distillers are urging their governor to allow permission to deliver spirits. The Massachusetts Distillers Alliance asked Massachusetts officials to take steps similar to those made in a handful of other states, such as California, New York, Washington, Kentucky, and Virginia, to aid independent distillers that are struggling during the current crisis. In a quote by the Alliance's board, they wrote, we pay over two and a half times the rate of excise tax per proof gallon paid by brewers. Yet during these challenging times, Greater latitude is being extended to restaurants, breweries, and wineries, while our businesses remain bound by the rules and laws that put us at great financial risk. We have a significant struggle ahead. For some good news, and you all are the first to hear it, because we are putting on a free online bourbon conference called Whiskey From Home, happening on May 2nd, 2020. Starting at 12 o'clock p.m. Eastern, this event will be streamed live through multiple properties with speakers from the entire cast of the roundtable, but also Peggy No Stevens, It's Bourbon Night, The Bourbon Review, Dad Drinking Bourbon, and more. We'll have live seminars, panels, virtual tastings, the list goes on. We're incredibly excited to bring more of this great content to you all. And if you can, please share it, spread the word, let your bourbon friends know, let your bourbon societies know, let your friends that aren't into bourbon and want to get into bourbon know about it, and family as well. This is a full five and a half hour jam-packed event that will be streamed live and you will get the chance to network with other people in real time and ask questions through chat. Go to whiskeyfromhome.com and register today for your free ticket. Now for today's podcast, I was super excited to interview our guest. The Kentucky Distillers Association does more for bourbon in the U.S. than just Kentucky alone. Eric Gregory, the president of the KDA, has been on both sides of the government trying to put the interests of the distillers and the consumers first. We talk about his experience with government lobbying and how it led him to reviving an organization that was struggling. He's maneuvered the KDA into a model that other states can follow, so we discuss what the future of bourbon looks like. 
Where are the laws changing with the regulation of distribution? What's going to happen with the tariffs? And how will the Bourbon Trail maintain its current pace of growth? All right, now don't forget it. Whiskeyfromhome.com. Go register now to get your free ticket. All right, here's Fred Minnick with Above the Char. I'm Fred Minnick, and this is Above the Char. This week's idea comes from Kyle Mann, or at Bourbon Numbers on Twitter. He writes, nothing better than expanding my whiskey perspective. Are there any up-and-coming writers in bourbon that deserve the Above the Char spotlight? Or are there any underrated sites we should add to our favorites? Thanks. Listen, there's nothing I like more than promoting good writing and a perspective that is different than mine. Listen, I am a big, big fan of the cocktail wonk. Now, as you know, I am a big rum head, so I would I would get you to start with the cocktail wonk. That's Matt Pietrick. He actually writes for me at Bourbon Plus. He writes the vintage column, and that is a writer you need to check out. He wrote the book, The Tiki Minimalist. So that is a great book. He's a great guy. And if you're wanting to learn more about another spirit, uh, rum is the one I would recommend going to. Of course, I wrote a book called Rum Curious, and Matt edited that for me. So I'm a big fan of Matt and everything that he does for the rum community. After that, I would say if you're not already following him, uh, Whiskey Jug is a young, up-and-coming uh, writer. He's been at the game for a little bit, but Joshua Peters is a... Uh, he reminds me a lot of myself of about 10 years ago when I was out there kind of investigating and trying to uh, break news in the whiskey circuit. He's a he's a very good he's a he's a very good no bullshit kind of writer. So I'm a big fan of what Joshua Peters is doing. I think he's got he's got a a bright future ahead of him. And I also wanted to ask you to go and check out the classics, the writers who are no longer with us. Gary Reagan wrote the book of bourbon, probably one of the one of my heroes in the in the bourbon world. Um, he because he kind of came at bourbon in a very similar fashion that as I did, but he was a bit before his time, and he broke into like he he broke away from bourbon a little bit and made his own bitters and kind of got a little bit more into the cocktail movement. And then you have the greatest whiskey writer of all time, in my opinion. Michael Jackson. Not Michael Jackson, the guy with the glove and the jacket and the weird stuff. I'm talking about Michael Jackson, the beer, the beer critic and whiskey writer. His words just flew off the page and were just so beautiful. So check those writers out. Uh, I'm a big fan of all of them, and I think they can all add to your perspective. Um, but at the end of the day, it's about whiskey is about an experience for for you while the writers the bloggers the podcasts we're all about bringing the information we're all about trying to explore this community with you at the end of the day it's about you and what's in your glass what you like and what conversations you like to have around whiskey so thank you for the question kyle man or at bourbon numbers on twitter now that came in on april 4th when i asked people to send me their ideas for above the char i love getting a good idea so hit me up on twitter instagram facebook or go to fredminnick.com and send me your idea but that's this week's above the char until next week cheers 
Ed Bly and Rising Tide Spirits are back again with a new release of Old Stubborn Bourbon. And this release of Old Stubborn is a premium hand marriage of 10, 11, and 12-year cask drink, barely filtered pot still bourbon. It comes in at a staggering 123.8 proof. And the flavoring grain for this one, which the last one was weeded, but this time it's now rye. Rich, sweet, and bold with a long finish that's sure to be another eye-opener. You can order online at Sealbox or TheBourbonConcierge.com, and you can even purchase in person at Revival Vintage Spirits, and even now with very few select stores in Kentucky. You can get it now while you can, but be sure to do it because it's not going to last long. And they're off for another Give 270-2020 Unicorn Raffle. Your $20 ticket gives you not one, but two chances to win from our lineup of 20 Woodford Reserve treasures, including the grand prize, the rarest unicorn yet, the Woodford Reserve Kentucky Derby 150 Baccarat Edition. Only 150 bottles were made and is just like the one the Derby winning owner receives. Quit horsing around and get your $20 tickets now at Give270.org. Charitable Gaming License ORG 0002703. From their bar to yours, Chad and Sarah of the popular YouTube channel It's Bourbon Night bring you their favorite at-home old-fashioned mix with the new Elemental Elixir's Golden Hour Syrup. It's a custom-made syrup with notes of bold black tea, warm spices, and orange zest. All you need is your favorite whiskey and ice. No bitters needed. One bottle makes 16 drinks, so that's only $1 cocktail before you add your own whiskey. They can also be enjoyed in other cocktails or spirits, mocktails, coffee, tea, and anything you can think of. It's crafted locally in Lexington, Kentucky, and you can get your bottle now at whiskeyambitions.com. Welcome back to the episode of Bourbon Pursuit, the official podcast of bourbon. Kenny and Fred on the road today down in Frankfurt. The, you know, it's always funny. There's always a good joke that says, uh, how do you pronounce the capital of Kentucky? Is it Louisville or Louisville? <laughs> and they're like, nope, it's Frankfurt. Yeah. You know, um, hopefully our guest today is, is, is part of a campaign to move it to Louisville, you know? Oh, well, I mean, they just got this new place that we're sitting in today. That is true. That is true. So this is, we're at the headquarters of the Kentucky Distillers Association. And, you know, 15 years ago, these guys could not get, get a meeting with a lot of the legislators. Now, one of the first calls a, a new governor makes is to the KDA because bourbon is political capital. And I believe that the Kentucky Distillers Association is the most powerful lobby in Kentucky. And that was confirmed to me by the Senate Majority Leader, uh, Damon Thayer. I asked him, I was like, hey, how powerful is the KDA? And they're like, hey, there's really not anyone more powerful right now. I mean, is lobby. it basically coming from all the taxes from... Well, alcohol, like it gets funded back into the state. Let's take a look at what bourbon has done for the state. It's really one of the only good conversations that people can have when they're talking about Kentucky. You've got the Derby, but the horse industry has been falling for for a while. I mean, it's that's a signature industry, and it's it's been hurting. Yeah, the gambling. Got, then the gambling. You know, they're trying to bring it in, but it right. keeps getting denied. So, and the coal industry has turned to dust. Sadly, I mean, it's not a. If you look at Eastern Kentucky, it's hurting, and bourbon is the one thing that's kind of carrying the state forward. And one of the reasons why is because of, of the man we have sitting here and what the KDA has done for the last 10 years. Uh, in 2009, you know, when uh, there was a new sales taxes coming in, they protested and they poured whiskey on the state capitol steps in the in way of their protests. And uh, they've been every single year, they have been peeling away ridiculous laws county by county and in the state and and uh town by town and 
that's why we're able to like have a sip of bourbon while you visit a distillery. I mean, people don't realize that it wasn't that long ago that we didn't have tours. These guys created the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. So that is why everybody who's listening to this should be thankful that we have someone like this who has their interests at heart uh, fighting for them in the bourbon industry in Frankfurt. Yeah, there's a there's a lot to go over today. And with Absolutely. all that, I mean, taxes, tariffs, you name it. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll get to a little bit of that. But, you know, we'll first introduce our guest. So today on the show, we have Eric Gregory. Eric is the president of the Kentucky Distillers Association, better known as the KDA. So, Eric, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. You, uh, you guys are making me blush uh, here. So thank you for the kind words. And, and I've got to say, um, we obviously couldn't do this without strong support from our membership. So um, let me lead off with that. We appreciate and value all of our members. And I guess before we before we kind of dive into the KDA and the membership and um, really what the KDA's mission is, like let's kind of talk about you real quick. Like, where's where's your background? Where'd you come from? Did you? I mean, were you part of you know moonshining? And you said, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and make this legal and get into oh, the, get in the business. I side. like this. I like. This. Were you a moonshiner? No, 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 no. I grew up in the cofields of Western Kentucky. Um, my parents ran a grocery store. Uh, my dad uh, was a huge uh maker's mark fan and uh my mom like oh fits and in the 1970s i mean i can still you know see in my mind's eye my dad coming home every day from work uh pouring him little makers and uh in a glass with one cube my mom loved uh old fits and some sprite or some ginger ale and they'd go out on the back porch and sit and that was their time and they'd talk about their day and have a drink and so it was just always prevalent in in uh in our household uh, so, uh, no, really just, I, I, I'm the luckiest SOB in the world. I, uh, I, I started my career. Many of the people know as a reporter, uh, with the Lexington Herald leader newspaper spent, uh, uh, eight or nine years there, um, immigrated to Hawaii for a couple of years and worked at the Honolulu advertiser. Oh my God. Why would you come back here? That, you know, everybody asks me, you know, how crazy are you? And I say, have you ever lived in Hawaii? It's a great place to visit, but it's really, really expensive. And, um, it's pretty far away from family. And, um, you know, once you get over there and you realize that everything that you love dear in the world, uh, to me was in Kentucky and not only my family, my wife's family, um, but I'm a huge Cincinnati Reds fan. Uh, I love Keeneland. I love the horses. Uh, I love bourbon. Um, I love UK basketball and they had just won a championship without me in Kentucky and things. And the, the tug of home really starts kind of, uh, you know, getting pretty strong. So Plus it's those, those, you'd be a, a late night tip offs, right? I mean, if you're sitting there in uh, Hawaii, yeah, well, yeah, there's a six hour time difference. I'm sitting there having lunch, you know, at the local bar, uh, and, uh, and watching the games. That was kind of, uh, kind of crazy. Uh, but move back to Kentucky, work for the paper again for a couple of years, uh, went into uh, political consulting after that. Uh, one of my jobs in the newspaper was covering the state legislature. And back then, they only met every two years uh, for 60 days. Uh, Happy Chandler used to say that he wished the legislature met every 60 years for two days instead of every two years for 60 days. So I covered them, and I kind of had the political bug a little bit. So we went into political consulting and public relations running campaigns in Kentucky, Indiana, and Tennessee. Uh, that led to one of my clients was the electric power cooperatives and doing lobbying and things for them. And they ended up hiring me as their government affairs manager. So I spent uh, almost eight years uh, working here in Frankfurt as their contract lobbyist. And 
And uh, September of 2007, uh, I got a call from one of my best friends. He said, your dream job just opened up. And I said, what's that? He said, the president of the Kentucky Distillers Association. He said, they want somebody with media background. Check. They want somebody with uh, uh, public affairs, uh, governmental affairs background. Check. Uh, and uh, they want somebody with lobbying experience. Check. And I love their product. So um, check. I, uh, check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put in a resume, three and a half month interview process. Oh wow! Uh, and uh, they uh, they offered me the job on December seventh, and and it was funny because they asked me in my last interview, um, "How long do you think you'd stay at KDA?" And I said, "Are you kidding me? This is like the best job in the Commonwealth outside of UK basketball coach, you know, or president of Churchill Downs or something like that." And you, I said, "I'm here as long as you'll have me. You can drag my cold dead pickle body out of that chair someday, but." Uh, but we haven't slowed down since it, it since taking over. It, it has been an amazing run so far. I kind of want to I kind of want to give a little bit of a historical uh, perspective here about the KDA at this juncture. Go for it. This was not really an organization that was known for doing anything or getting anything done. And no offense to to no, to, to, to your history, but they didn't do anything. You know, other than like some some uh, efforts in the. 1800s and the 1950s they were mostly just kind of a drinking club of the distillers getting together and they just they just let things be dictated to them and i'm curious because everything changed when eric took office and you know bill samuels uh jr who's the longtime makers mark chairman has told me many 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 times is that a lot of the the growth of bourbon is because of this man and his leadership for the KDA. So I'm curious, you get the job. What are those first 40 days like? What are you oh. assessing and, and how are you, <laughs> what are you looking at? Well, it's funny um, because the job description um, in those conversations, they were th saying things like, you know, we'd like you to, you know, can you promote this bourbon trail thing we've got going on? And, and uh, I went into one of the, the meetings and uh, the interviews and the New York Times had just done a front page travel section feature on the Kentucky Bourbon Trail and actually held it up at the uh, at the interview and said, what did y'all do to get this? And they literally said, well, I don't know. A reporter just showed up one day. I'm like, you're getting front page travel sections in the New York Times without trying. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't know what you've got here. This is amazing. So. Yeah, that first 40 days was really transitioning. Uh, my predecessor, a great man, Senator, former state Senator Ed O'Daniel out of Springfield, uh, who I don't think is enough credit. Back in the 70s and 80s when he was a state senator, he really worked hard to keep the ad valorem barrel tax issue from just exploding and driving a lot of distillers mm -hmm. and those aging warehouses outside out of Kentucky. Um, and really, you know, he was running the KDA out of his law office in Springfield. And most people don't know the KDA went part-time in the 1980s. Oh, wow. Because um, bourbon, you know, had taken it on the chin and most people had written it off, as Max Shapiro said, to that great liquor store in the sky. And there was not much, you're right, for the KDA to do. So, uh, he, you know, he, but Ed foresaw the, the bourbon revolution coming and the Kentucky bourbon trail picking up speed and said, you need a full-time staff again. And so that's, that's where I came in. So, yeah, that first 30 first 30 or 40 days was really quite frankly kind of relaunching the association from scratch um we had to find an office in in frankfurt we moved our operations here from because ed was running it out getting his law office in springfield washington county find an office uh after three or four months i was allowed to hire an executive assistant um and um uh, and just got thrown into a legislative session 
you know, with no idea we need to come up with priorities and, um, you know, just really, like you said, start to get the KDA, build an image back among the legislators that we're here and we're lobbying and we're not asleep at the wheel anymore, quite frankly. Can you remember that, that first lobbying experience you did for the KDA? Oh yeah. Um, they started talking about tax, raising taxes in 2008 uh, and uh, myself and the, the wholesaler association and the retailers all went in and started talking uh, to um, uh, to the legislators because they had just raised our taxes in 2005 uh, wholesale taxes went from nine percent to eleven percent so um, we went in and say look as you just you know raised our taxes a couple of years ago you're going to do it again and we fought it back that year in 2008 but then it came you know crashing down upon us as fred mentioned in 2009 um but uh again i was doing all this i I, i'm a bourbon geek first of all i'm a longtime bourbon geek Um, i'm one of the people that stood in line and you know outside of liquor barn waiting for the different wax colored bottles and whenever (laughs) bill samuels i was one i am one of the first before i took this job i was one of the first uh, bourbon ambassadors uh at maker's mark um, I worked my way through college at a liquor store uh, uh, right b- before Keeneland. All right. What bottles were you stashing away back then? Well, you didn't have any. You know, we had Maker's Gold. That was really about the height of, of bourbon um, back then. But I, I remember vividly when we got the first bottles of Blanton's in the liquor store. And they were $35. And we were like, who the hell in their right mind is going to pay $35 for a bottle of bourbon? You can get Maker's for 10 over here, right? You know? And um, because we were the last liquor store before Keeneland in the airport, uh, Toyota had just opened up and all the Japanese executives would stop at our liquor store and uh, stock up on bourbon uh, before they got on the plane to take back home. And they fell in love with Blanton's and they loved the bottle and the horse on top of the bottle. And so every Friday night when they were making their rounds back to the airport to go home, uh, there was a line of Camrys waiting at the drive-thru, and I knew I had to have cases and cases of Blanton's there. And I would just go out and load them in the back of the car, and they'd hand me over the cash and go. So as more and more of the small batch, really the, the bean products, the small batch uh, selections, the you know the, the knobs and things like that, as those started rolling out, um, I had to really become more knowledgeable about what was coming out for our customers at the time. And so my friends all kind of, you know, kidding me about the being the bourbon geek and, and, and teaching me about that. So that's awesome. It really yeah. does run through your, your veins. I, I, you know, and again, uh, and I got a lot of great tips from track tips, you know, from the trackers coming in, I think between that and, uh, you know, that kind of kept me in school paid for, for a couple of years. <laughs> Not only people can say that they made their way through college, just like having a good few bets here and there. Right. I, you, you, Especially my bets. <laughs> I got what, what's your percentage on on betting? I, I I don't do it anymore. Uh, you know, once you, when and you've got young children, Fred. So yeah. when, once you your your children start growing up, and um, I've got you know, I'm putting my first into college later this year, and then my my son who is getting ready to turn sixteen, I got to get a car for him and everything else. I, my sister works at Keeneland, uh, and so you know, there every now and then I'll get her to place a bet for me. But uh, boy, uh, my betting has gone down uh, exponentially. Is uh, I've, I've hard, had to start and he's putting saved, more attention on. And he's like winning by not by not pretty, <laughs> much, pretty much. Yeah, what's that? The best bet is keep your money in your pocket. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. I was about to say, if you do have a good horse racing tip, what would it be? Oh wow! If you are going to go bet, um, you know, 
I, I'd, I'd probably have to have a, a form with me, you know, to answer that question. Um, I, again, I really used to uh, study that form. And there was a group of us former reporters who are now lobbyists and, and everything up here who uh, would, would hit Keeneland all the time. Um, so um, I, I'm big on Kentucky Board and Bread. You know, uh, I do get a lot of great tips from, from my sister who sees them come through as yearlings, you know, in the Keeneland sales and stuff like that. Um, but mainly I, I look at bloodlines, you know, when, if I'm going down the forum, the first thing I'll do is start circling bloodlines that I know that that'll be a good, you know, and then you got to look at, you know, how long it is. And if they're a closer, I mean, it, there's just, I, I don't know. It's, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. It's my, just Kentucky, my, the Kentucky way. Right. I mean, yeah. My, my dad's tip. He said, uh, I always circle the ones that where the owner and the trainer are the same person because he was mm -hmm. like, they put a little bit more effort into that, that yeah. horse right there. That's a good point. That's, that's, that's his little tip, but yeah, I like that. Go ahead and try to run with it. Again, you're still gambling at the end of the day. So let's go ahead and I kind of want to shift gears a little bit and kind of talk about the the growth of bourbon and kind of really where you've seen it and kind of, you know, you've been a, a pretty instrumental part of this. And so a few months ago, there was a press release that came out about now that there are more barrels of spirits aging in Kentucky than there are people. Twice as many. Twice as many. Many barrels. Twice as many. You're right. Twice as many. Yeah. So kind of talk about like where... Where do you kind of see the, the evolution of this going? And like, do we expect 3X, 4X now coming here in the next two, three years? Uh, short answer, yes. I, I'm, I'm typically pretty optimistic about that. I guess the biggest challenge that we faced is, are the, the tariffs, uh, the retaliatory tariffs that are put on us. Um, because, you know, everybody asks y'all, you know, what's fueling the bourbon revolution and everything? And we all know, um, you know, the rise of the cocktail culture, the Mad Men effect. Uh, I think bourbon tourism has been, has played a big part of that, maybe a bigger part than most people understand. Uh, the fact that we're just putting out some of the best juice that the Commonwealth has ever delivered again is good. Uh, but really the opening of the global markets to me has been one of the, if not the driving factor in the growth of Kentucky bourbon, because I don't think it's any coincidence that back in the mid 1990s when we had NAFTA and the EU treaties, uh, that's when you start to see the, the spike in production um, and, um, you know, the growing global thirst uh, because we're fine. We were finally on a level playing field with our friends in the scotch industry who've had a 600 year head start on us. So, yes, um, you know, we have seen bourbon growth exponentially in the past five years. Uh, we're currently in the middle of a two point three billion dollar capital investment spree. And most of that is uh, increased production uh, for that uh, for that global market. We, you know, especially to the EU, uh, you know, in the past three to four years, you're looking at 20 to 30 percent. Even I think two years ago was 43 percent growth every single year to the EU market. And uh, so that's when we got the call 18 months ago that the, the tariffs were, were starting to be used as pawns in a trade war that none of us saw coming. Um, my first reaction was, damn, we made it. We're being used as pawns in a trade war. Then I was, and it was, oh my God, now we're really, you know, what, what are we going to do now? Um, I, I really do believe that, um, you're going to continue to see growth. And a lot of people ask us after that press release came out, you know, cause we not only do we have more than 9 million barrels aging right now in Kentucky, um, uh, we filled 2 million barrels for the first time in the modern era of, of, of Kentucky bourbon in 52 years. And, you know, well, we thought the tariffs were hurting you. Why are you filling that many barrels? Um, and 
again, the blessing and the curse of Kentucky bourbon is um, you can't make it overnight. So administrations change. You know, you're looking six, eight years out. Hopefully this issue would be settled. Um, but, um, you know, if the EU market, which is almost half of all of Kentucky's whiskey exports, if that continues to escalate um, as it has with the new tariffs on Scotch whiskey, uh, then, you know, to me, that's a game changer. Um, uh, you know, it's it's something that could really have long term effects if we don't get this resolved pretty soon. And you're, you're a pretty knowledgeable person on this particular subject. And there is people that talk about this all the time when it talks about tariffs and they talk about exports and they have this very narrow minded view and they're like, that's fine. More bourbon here in America. Kind of tell people maybe I, I don't believe that's right, but kind of give your kind of explanation and rationale on, on that. Yeah. Well, um, t- well, tariffs are taxes, first of all. And, um, and, and we like to say there are no winners in a trade war. Um, you know, there's no really good way out of this because what most people don't understand is when bourbon took a nosedive, uh, most of the bigger distilleries diversify their portfolio. So they own a Scotch whiskey distillery or an Irish whiskey distillery, a Canadian whiskey distillery, uh, tequila distillery. And so that's when you saw uh, the tariffs, you know, enacted back, you know, it wasn't just EU, it was Canada and Mexico uh, and other places. Well, a, a company like Brown Foreman, or Jim Beam that owns multiple distilleries across the world, they're not only taking a hit on the retaliatory tariff on Kentucky bourbon, uh, they're also taking a hit now on Scotch whiskey and Canadian whiskey and Irish whiskey and things like that. So they're getting both ends of it. Yeah, you know, and so they're taking five punches to the gut right away. Um, so, you know, that's not good from an industry standpoint um, because you're, you know, that, that for just from a purely business standpoint, it's, it's hurting business. Um, then we have, as an industry have done so much over the last generation to convert scotch drinkers, uh, you know, mainly from a global community over to bourbon drinkers. And that's a lot of investment that that most people don't understand. And that market helps us, you know, uh, grow here in Kentucky and, and produce more uh, um, alcohol. So if, if you're a scotch, you know, if you're a newly converted scotch drinker uh, to bourbon and you go into your favorite watering hole now and you see that bourbon is 25 percent higher in price, do you go back to what you were drinking? And now we've lost you uh, potentially for a generation uh, that that's not good. Then you've got the situation where um, if you're a company, you try to absorb that 25 percent or as much of it as, as possible as you can. Um, which means less jobs and investment here in Kentucky, um, which again hurts the Commonwealth. Um, or uh, going to your point, um, I, you know, hey, I've just invested fifty million dollars and doubled my production, and I've got all these stills. Do I keep them running? Well, okay, you do that, and suddenly in six years there's a glut of uh, spirits on the market. That's going to cause a price war, which probably the first casualty is going to be the craft spirits market. It's going to put people out of business and that's not good from a, a global spirit spirits industry as well. So we don't like door number one, door number two or door number three on all those. And that's why we've been lobbying awful hard uh, to get this resolved as quick as possible. So talk to me a little bit through about what your process is when you're lobbying against efforts like this bang the drum as loudly as possible. <laughs> We've met with pretty much anybody who would listen to us. Um, 
And I've got to give a hand to our partners at the Scotch Whiskey Association, the Distilled Spirits Council of the United States, the American Craft Spirits Association, the American Distilled Spirits Association. I mean, this affects all of us. So um, one of the things that we did, uh, and, and Fred was actually there uh, a, a couple of years ago, we brought the world whiskey community to Louisville and had a W9 summit. There were nine of us, so we called it the W9. And, and, and talked about this, you know, what are we all going to do about this? Because it affects everybody. And we met for two days and eventually, um, put out a, a resolution calling upon the world's leaders to get together and resolve this quickly before the long-term consequences, you know, suddenly became real. Um, and even planted an oak tree, um, right in front of the yeah. Fraser, uh, there. And, and, it, and it got a lot of press and we got a lot of phone calls about it. And, and we all kind of went back to our corners and, and did what we what we've continued to do is is just talk to every congressperson, uh, you name it. Um, Congressman Andy Barr in Kentucky was having a fundraiser with Vice President Pence uh, flying in. He managed to get our our major companies in a meeting with Vice President Pence, who from Indiana knows exactly what bourbon means to Kentucky, um, and uh, he took that message back to to President Trump. Um, the governor here in Kentucky had Vice President Pence in last year during the Derby, did the same thing for us to help us. Um, we've got, you know, we're on speed dial with Senator McConnell's office, checking in consistently uh, with, with them on what more they can do. Um, we've had uh, meetings recently with um, uh, uh, Commerce Cabinet, Finance Cabinet, Trade, uh, uh, you know, Senator Grassley's office, all these people just really explaining to them how devastating these consequences could be if this goes on much longer. And the answer to them is all, you know, we understand, um, but these decisions are being made at such high levels. That's where the frustration comes in. And, um, you know, we, we know that uh, the U S does have trade issues with countries and we get that. Um and we know that the steel and aluminum thing is a real issue because here in Kentucky, we have great steel and aluminum uh, plants because of our historic low energy rates. Uh, so, you know, we're not pointing fingers at anybody. We're just, you know, going up and just trying to tell our story on, you know, what this could mean to the industry. Um, you know, cause it's, it's like, again, it's like just putting the brakes on a freight train. We're just trying to sell bourbon at the end of the day, right? Leave us and alone. Get, get and I want to remind, job. I want to remind people too, who are listening and we're never we're inevitably going to get a lot of backlash from this. People are going to think, "Oh, this is political." You know, you're 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 bashing Trump and what he's trying to do. I want to remind people that this is not political. This is this is an industry who speaks to both sides. Absolutely. And Harvard is bipartisan. Talk talk to us about about that about how you how you have to kind of keep your personal politics out of it and how you have to work with both sides. What's that like? Well, you know, let me start out from a state point here. Um, you can, alcohol bills in Kentucky are incredibly hard to pass, um, no matter what the subject is. I mean, we've even had people up here that will vote against our social responsibility efforts um, just because the word alcohol is in the title of the bill. So we have to have Democrats and Republicans supporting alcohol measures or they just won't pass. So, yes, we are constant. We say we support our friends and we have friends on both sides of the aisle. And the great thing about our Kentucky General Assembly is they understand that because um, they know that some of their members, because of their constituencies and coming from dry counties, just cannot support alcohol uh, yet. Um, but with I like how he said yet, yet, <laughs> yet, TBD, <laughs> he's driving well, a wedge. 
you know, the, the great thing about one, one of the smartest things that the KDA did, um, you know, years back in 2010 was invite the craft distillery start coming into Kentucky into the association. We changed our bylaws because not only is it good for them and our our legacy distilleries have been tremendous mentors to them, but it also spread our political footprint across the state now in 32 counties. And so we've had legislators now who never voted wet, who vote wet because they understand the the economic impact and the tourism impact, especially of, the, of that craft distillery in their district. So that's really helped. But, you know, you look at, you know, we have a political action committee. We raise money for that. Um, you, you look at our donations. They're almost evenly split between Democrats and Republicans because we have to have support on both sides of the aisle. Uh, so we're very fortunate in Kentucky. Yes, we have Senator McConnell, um, who can be a lightning rod, obviously, if you're, you know, in politics. Um, but we're lucky that we have his leadership up there because he has the president's ear and he is always, you know, carrying our agenda. That's why we have given him awards in the past. We're very fortunate to have John Yarmouth out of Louisville now chairing Ways and Means. Mm-hmm. And so I uh, met with him uh, recently and, um, and and he gets it uh, because uh, Congressman Yarmouth is a huge bourbon fan. Yeah. And especially in Louisville, Bourbon City right now, you know, and all the tremendous growth there, he sees the tourism impact and the, the economic impact on a daily basis. Having him in the house carrying that message for us is equally as important. Um, and, um, you know, he and, and Congressman Brett Guthrie started the Bourbon Caucus right. in, in D.C., which which is growing. And um, as more and more uh, states, you know, produce America's only native spirit. So we have to be bipartisan. And it's funny because. Um, as president of the KDA, you know, you have to be kind of like a chameleon. Uh, all my Republican friends think I'm a Democrat and all my Democratic friends think I'm a Republican. And I said, well, I must be doing something right. Yeah. Y'all don't know what I am. So keep them guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you also have to be careful too, with your membership of when you go to the bar and what you pick. I do. Uh, and, um, uh, it, it's, it's funny, obviously, you know, when people ask me, what's your favorite bourbon, Kentucky bourbon is, is always my answer. Um, but, uh, and, and it, it what I usually try to do, um, one of two things. I'll usually try to drink from the county I'm in right then. Um, I also tend to favor our chairman or chairwoman right now at, at the time. If it, you know, this year is the Heaven Hill year to chair the KDA and, uh, our great friend Jessica Pendergrass for Heaven Hill general counsel is, is the new chairwoman. So you'll probably tend to see me drink more Heaven Hill products this year. Um, but then there are some bars I go to and, you know, they say, Eric, what do you want? And just surprise me, you know, um, just, just uh, makes me a good old fashioned and, and, uh, I'll go from there. Yeah. The, the, his membership's got spies on him. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <you> know. <laughs> I think they have to though. Yeah, that's right. And so I guess one of the other things I want to talk about uh, part of the lobbying effort here is, you know, there has to be, it's gotta be frustrating because, we're this is a sin tax basically at the end of the day right like it's alcohol and i would imagine that government just look at it like it's an easy target right it's an easy target to tax when you all like hear rumblings of anything like is it like all right here we go like put the bat signal in the air everybody get together we're gonna fly there we're gonna squash this before it ever blows up well uh first of all yes (laughs) that's well, uh, when you look at the government affairs strategies for years, strategy number one is always hold the line on taxes. Um, everything else is one A, one B. Um, and um, Fred uh, highlighted our 2009 uh, bourbon tea party in which we poured bourbon on the Capitol steps. And if you go to my office on top of the cabinet, I have the empty bottles in there uh, that serve as a daily reminder to me of never forget that, you know, 
Yes, right now they're your friend, but if they're starved for revenue, the first place they usually look is cigarettes or alcohol or one of the, what they would think of as sin industries. But I think we've done a good job, um, you know, challenge, changing the conversation and the culture in Frankfurt, especially from sin to signature. And that 2009 uh, bill um, was probably the best wake-up call for the industry and the association that, and one of the best things that ever happened to us. I mean, I, I can tell you the dates. It was announced on it was, it's ingrained in my memory. It was announced on February 6th. They passed it on Friday, February 13th. It took effect on April Fool's Day. I mean, you couldn't have written a better script for how all this went down. But you had the bourbon industry, and not just bourbon, the alcohol industry in general, because you had the beer trucks circling the Capitol. Um, you know, we galvanized. They and you, we fought the governor, the Senate president, and the Speaker of the House on an issue, and came within one vote of killing that in one week. And it brought us together more, more and quicker than anything could have. So it was actually a blessing in disguise for us because we held an emergency meeting after that, February 26th. See, these are how important these dates were to me in the history. Um, And one of our board members looked at the rest of the board and said, are we really a signature industry or is that a self-portrait? And you could see everybody just kind of, I mean, they physically took a step back from the table and went, you're right. Are we really a signature industry? We'd like to think we're a signature industry, but are we? And so they said, what do we need to do? And so we, I said, all right, we need to have an economic impact study that shows what our impact is to the Commonwealth. We need to start talking about bourbon not just as a drink, but as part of the culture and the economy and tourism and things like that. And so once we started doing that, and we did, we came up with the first ever economic impact study, and it is such a tool for the industry you know, to showcase what we mean to Kentucky that we do it every two years now. And it's a no brainer. We just know it. we do it every two years to update. And so uh, that gives also the ability to forecast, right? What jobs are going to be, you know, what we think is going to be coming in there and down the line. But once we started talking about bourbon as economic development and tourism and, and investment and jobs, it really changed the focus here in Frankfurt that we weren't a sin industry more as, as Fred said earlier, um, because I remember um, sitting in a meeting in 2010 with Bill Samuels and and Senate President or Senator Robert Stivers, who's now Senate President, and him looking at us and saying, "You are not a signature industry. You're an image industry, but you are not a signature industry. Coal is a signature industry because he's from the coal fields of Eastern Kentucky." Um, and now to hear him stand up and say, "You may be the only signature industry left." In the state, because coal is 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 dying, tobacco is dead. Um, you know, horse racing definitely has its challenges. Um, that's that's been uh, you know a, a 180 turnaround from where we were 10 years ago. Uh, but it's a lot of it's been a lot of hard work uh, educating legislators and um, uh, you know in, in all the, all the other tools that a trade association uses. Uh, like political action committees and things like that to make sure that they know that we appreciate their support in changing these laws. So Kenny, this is a, we, we've, we've talked a lot about the lobbying side, but what happened around 2009 was that they kind of activated um, something within the, within their organization that they really had never done before. And that's a promotional component. Uh, Let's talk about that for a minute. What, what steps starting in 2009 did you start on, 
you, you mentioned the, the study, which by the way, average salary of a bourbon worker, 91, is it $95,000, $95,000. That's a great industry. And so talk about like the steps that you have taken uh, with the promotional side from the, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail to the Kentucky Bourbon Affair and, and all the other stuff you're doing. If you're anything like me, then you can't get enough about bourbon. And that's why I'm a subscriber to Bourbon Plus magazine. Bourbon Plus is a quarterly publication that tells the stories from the heart of bourbon, the farmers who grow the grain, the distillers who labor over the process, and the people like you and me who raise their glasses to celebrate it all. Subscribe to Bourbon Plus magazine today at bourbonplus.com, that's P-L-U-S.com, and use code PURSUIT at checkout for $5 off your subscription. Shopify's already taken the cash register online, helping millions sell billions around the world. But did you know that Shopify can do the same thing at your retail store? Give your point-of-sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify's point-of-sale is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. And with Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns, from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. And get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's point-of-sale Go Mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash bourbon, all lowercase, and go to shopify.com slash bourbon to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash bourbon. And so talk about like the steps that you have taken uh, with the promotional side from the, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail to the Kentucky Bourbon Affair and, and all the other stuff you're doing. Yeah, um, we, uh, so again, it was me and one person doing this. So we ended up having to really get a lot of help from our members and, and some really creative design firms. But one of the things that we did is um, we created a five-year strategic plan uh, in 2009, August 6th. Uh, and... There's the date. Really look forward again, ingrained in my memory. Really look forward to say, okay, what do we want to be when we grow up? Everybody said we want the KDA to be on par with the Scotch Whiskey Association. Okay, how do we accomplish those steps? Um, and we started to understand that the thing that gets us into some of these meetings um, was not just that we were the bourbon industry, but it was the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. The, the bourbon trail opened a, do a lot of doors for us in, in Frankfurt. So um, in 2010, uh, we had the World Equestrian Games, and uh, we had started promoting the, the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, um, updating brochures, new websites, and things like that, really focusing on the passport program. And how many visitors did you have at that time? The first year we did the passport in 2007, we had 189 people complete the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. Oh 189. <laughs> should send them a pin or something. <laughs> and, wow. And in attendance, I think we probably had, I'm trying to remember back in 2008, we had maybe 200,000 people to know. Well, again, we have to record this on visits because we know people are visiting multiple distilleries, but just visits to distilleries was about 200,000 
in 2008. And we only had seven distilleries at the time. Um, and so we started, you know, really promoting. And it's, it's interesting because uh, it was mainly just getting the word out there. People didn't know that the Kentucky Bourbon Trail existed. We've been around since 1999, but people had no idea who we were, what we're talking about. So me being a former reporter, um, we relied on a lot of free media. So we started doing a lot of, you know, pitches and phone calls to newspapers. And, and we worked with Southern Living. They did came in and did a big 16-page spread on, um, you know, the, the heart of bourbon country. And, and, and it, it was just, you know, you couldn't buy that kind of advertising, especially with the trade association that's just trying to, you know, really get, get started again. Um, and, boy, it picked up quickly. We went from... Um, 189 people completing the Kentucky Bourbon Trail in 2007, 2008 to about 2010, we are at, uh, almost 10,000. Um, and that was the year that the world equestrian games came in town. And I'll never forget Bill Samuels, the world equestrian game program was thick. You know, it was like, like the Sears aerobic catalog you got as a kid. Mm -hmm. And so I'm at the world equestrian games and Bill Samuels is beating me about the head with one of those damn programs. I was like, Oh my God, what have I done now? And he said, you got to slow down, son, because Bill had been in California when, when wine country exploded. And he said, it can get out of hand real quick if you don't have some focus. You guys need to, f to focus and figure out what it's going to be. So we took a year off the, the, uh, off of the, the, our foot off the pedal and hired Peggy No Stevens, newly minted to the Kentucky Bourbon Hall of Fame. Yeah. Uh, and, and she did a full year benchmark study for us on, what the Kentucky bourbon trail needs to be when it grows up and focus on experiential tourism, which is just now getting hot in the tourism community. And so that helped our promotional efforts to promote the Kentucky bourbon trail, not just as an, a factory tour, but as every sip of Kentucky bourbon is white fences and rolling green hills and thoroughbreds and the genteel Southern culture and hospitality and things like that. So we started really focusing on that. Next thing you know, boy, it's Katie by the door. Pete, the, the Kentucky bourbon trail just exploded um, with visitors and that spun off the Kentucky bourbon trail craft tour um, because when the craft members started joining the KDA, we all thought the first thing they want to do was join the Kentucky bourbon trail. Well, they went screaming. No, no, you know, Woodford gets, a thousand people a weekend. If we got a thousand people a month, we couldn't make our whiskey. We'll let you know when we want to join a, a trail. So seven craft members came to us in 2012, said we want to create a spinoff and grow it organically, and which is what they've done. Um, so we, you know, each year we continue to kind of ramp dial up the advertising promotion for that, just so they have time for their infrastructure and things to catch up. And that was another thing that Bill Samuel said: you, you've got to be careful in how you market this, so you can make sure and let the infrastructure. And the investment catch up, which is what they've done because you don't have enough bathrooms or parking or things like that, you know. So we, we really have to, Adam Johnson does that good job for us and dials that up and dials it down. Um, and then you mentioned the Kentucky Bourbon Affair. Um, we had always talked about wanting to do a bourbon conference and, um, we're sitting around going, okay, bourbon conference, you know, that sounds good. Um, is it best practice? Is there anything else? And Rob Samuels finally spoke up and said, you know, what's the one thing we all go to all these conferences all over the country, but what's the one thing that Kentucky's got going for it that nobody else does. And that's the power of the distilleries, the allure here of Kentucky. We need to create something with the visitor in mind, uh, that they can do here that they can't do anywhere else in the country. And so we put the challenge out to the, the, the companies and said, all right, 
you know, what, what do you want to do? And they came up with some really cool things uh, to do. And it wasn't that hard. I mean, Fred, you and I were standing. I still don't know how Brown Foreman did this, how they got risk management to look the other way, because that first year of the bourbon affair, remember, all they did was open the door to the roof. Yeah. Poured Chris Morris took a bottle of President's Choice from the 1950s out oh, of his God, stock. So we all we all sat there and drank that. Then went on the roof and took pictures underneath the old Forester sign, and it, it was an incredible experience. Yeah, and just things like that. You know, you don't have to go all out. You know, to to have just this, this amazing memory. Um, and by the and we we thought okay we'll do this one year because it was the 50th anniversary of the congressional resolution that declared bourbon to be America's only indigenous spirit, and so we were just really going we knew we were going to throw a party so that was the one year we did it and we we didn't think we were going to do it again but by the end of that year that week we had people going I mean, how can I buy tickets for next year and we're like hmm we might have something here uh, so it just keeps getting bigger and better so um, you know I, I've got to say that, that has has helped grow Kentucky bourbon and just kind of the mystique and the aura and, and help change bourbon from, you know, it's, we're not hooch hillbillies and hooch here in Kentucky. It's, you know, bourbon is a very elegant, sophisticated, complex drink and events like that. And, and the, how the Kentucky bourbon trail distilleries have really just upped their game uh, to me have, have done an incredible job in raising the profile of the industry. And now you guys have done such a good job. Uh, you have everybody calling you to try and partner with them. <laughs> yes, we do. Which, um, w- which is a, a great problem to have. Um, but it's also uh, a challenge um, because every week it seems like there's a different festival or event and, and they all want us to help. And, and it's it's getting you know to be a strain on resources from the industry just because there's only one Fred No right there's only one Chris Morris um, they can only be in so many places and you know so many times because they're out there on the road mostly you know opening new markets and and, and building brands and so um, that's an issue that our board's been discussing recently of you know how do we you know do we just send all these events to the members and let them pick and choose. Um, or, you know, do we, you know, throw our eggs in one basket? And one thing that we're very proud of is um, we re- we announced last year that we're moving the Kentucky Bourbon Affair to September to partner with Bourbon Beyond, Woo-hoo. hosted by somebody here at the table, uh, and um, is kind of the lead-in. Um, and uh, I really think that is going to become like this incredible South by Southwest um, partnership uh, for t- two, three weeks that will just drive people to Kentucky again. You can't get that anywhere else. So the marriage of these one-of-a-kind, rare, behind-the-scenes bourbon experiences during the week followed up by fantastic music and food and and the festival atmosphere that the Bourbon and Beyond things, I, I think this is going to be a grand slam. Yeah, sounds like a home run to me. Yeah, what, what are some of the uh, – and you don't have to name any names, but – what are some of the more weird, what are the weirdest uh, requests that you've gotten from people? Like, I, I'm curious because you guys get so many just random emails from people. I'll tell you one, and it's actually been in the news here recently. Um, a, a gentleman, so we're, we're here in Frankfurt. We just bought a new historic, a, a historic house as our headquarters. So we're a little more visible now. We were in uh, an old civil war barracks and, and kind of in a basement. And we were able to kind of fly under the radar. Now we're very visible here on the corner of Capitol and second in Frankfurt. And one day 
uh, before we had the security system installed, a man just walks upstairs and walks in my office and says, I've got an idea for you and you're going to laugh. And then you're going to say, that's the most brilliant thing I've ever heard. And I said, okay, hit me with it. And he said, I want to create burial urns for people made out of bourbon barrels. And after I started laughing, I shouted, Adam, Adam, trying to get in here. This is the craziest, most brilliant thing I've ever heard. And he said, I'm going to call it forever aging. Do you think this is a good idea? And after we all started laughing, I said, you know, brother, you probably got something on your hands here that, yeah, yeah, I do. Because think about the maker's ambassadors, right? You know, if you could get buried and make cremated, and put your ashes in a maker's mark barrel covered in red wax. They sign them up, right? Well, uh, I just saw you know a story where he's now partnered with a, a an urn making company in Florida, and he's getting national publicity. And he stops by here once a week just to check in and tell us how it's going, everything else. And that just it just cracks me up. It just shows you again when I started this, you know, now thirteen years ago, I. One of the biggest surprises to me has been the growth of the spinoff things from bourbon industry. I mean, I remember the first phone call from Sean Higgins and Mint mm-hmm. Julep Tours. Hey, we're moving back from California thinking about doing this. Okay, bourbon magazines, bourbon cooking classes. Now there's bourbon hotels. And, um, it, you know, uh, I don't think we any of us ever saw it coming and coming this fast. Um, and so now you have the opportunity to get buried and uh, get cremated and, and buried in your favorite brand barrel under the forever aging brand. I love it. I guess we got to check it out later. Yeah, Hallelujah, man. I mean, <laughs> this is something I didn't see that coming. I know I, 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 I could see like, um, you know, I could see like someone doing like a Muhammad Ali style uh, funeral where they go and stop at every, uh, visit on the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Trail, but I'd never imagined anything like like a be actually being a married bourbon barrel. Yeah, that's a new one. Yeah, that's new. One. Yeah, that's we we get plenty of crazy. We often joke that we you know you can't make this stuff up. We need to be a reality TV series around here um, because we do. We get a lot of crazy phone calls, um, and, and and right now you know China is an emerging market. Uh, I, every day, I bet you we get five to ten emails or phone calls uh, from people wanting to broker spirits to china um there's just so much opportunity around the world china india russia places like that um that that's that's one of the most challenging things because a lot of people think that we you know that we're the ones that broker that we we just typically turn that over to the to the members yeah i was about to say even with that you know you talked about it earlier like bourbon is a it's a it's an american spirit right however it seems like kentucky is it's the it's the centerfold right it's Mm -hmm. it's the one that's on top here I'm stealing that the centerfold. I'm yeah, stealing that. I don't know if you want to steal that one. <laughs> It'll so, be in a press release. Yeah, like, yeah. Sometimes my comments can't be so PC, but we'll figure that one out later. Um, so the other way we kind of look at this is that you know you want to work with you know the whole entire United States. Of course, you get the Disability Appearance Council. I mean, are there other other states that look at you for guidance? Um, or do yeah. you, do you feel like there's more weight on your shoulders and that other states should be picking up some of the slack too? No, uh, uh we, we definitely get a lot of phone calls from other states. They're just building their guilds, um, and, you know, are asking us questions. Um, you know, the, the guys from Florida, uh, you know, uh, call us every now and then, especially on le- the legislative front. Hey, how did you guys get this passed in Kentucky? 
Um, and, and, and we're more than help. Now we do have some States and Fred knows probably which ones I'm referring to that like to talk a little smack, Colorado, um, Texas, <laughs> Tennessee. <laughs> Ten, uh, yeah, that's right. Ten, uh, t- <laughs> I forgot about that. The Tennessee Senator who, uh, said something like the Kentucky bourbon trail sucked in yeah. front of my, <laughs> they don't have any history. Yeah. yeah. Um, which, you know, keep talking buddy. Cause I guarantee you, I've got that on a slide that I have when I give my presentation to the legislature. Every time somebody says something about how Kentucky needs to take a step back and let us take the lead, that's on a slide to the legislature or that clipping goes straight to their mailbox to show them we've got to keep doing more to, as Fred said, peel back all these ancient alcohol regulations and laws to remain competitive because if we don't, they will. Hmm. And the last thing we could do in Kentucky is let our, we, we make 95% of the world's bourbon, but we cannot let that historic distilling monopoly slip away. Um, but no, we are, I, I tell you what, the lines of communication between the trade associations right now has never been better. Uh, we work closely with Margie Lehman at the American Craft uh, Spirits Association, Bill Owen at ADI, Matt DeGali at American Distilled Spirits Association, Chris Swanger, the new president and CEO of of discus karen betts from scotch whiskey association has been terrific in uh in working with us in the trade thing so um we we get calls like that from all the time now the funny things are when they call when you see them in a newspaper or a news article and they're you know issuing the pepsi challenge to kentucky of our water is just as good and we sit on limestone shelf and they need to do this and then they call you 10 minutes later and say hey how did you start this bourbon thing? can you give us some tips and advice and we're like dude come on you know you can't talk smack over here for us and then call us and ask us for help. But you can. You can just charge them. Right? <laughs> like, I will say that, you know, they've uh, they've always been very collegial about it. They're not like uh, they can flex their muscle and, and you know, space them out. But they don't do that. They actually really do help. I'm a, I know I know several associations that have leaned on you. They have. They have. And again, we're, we're willing to help. I mean, we... Founded in 1880, you know, we, we took a few years off with that noble experiment that just celebrated its 100th anniversary in January that we don't want to talk about. We, we like repeal day, right, Fred? Yeah, December repeal day is great. Yeah. Uh, um, but no, we, we want to work with these guilds because we're all facing similar challenges and opportunities. And again, some states have passed laws that we've looked at and went, wow, that's probably a pretty good idea. Um, and, um, you, you know, especially when it comes to things like shipping, that's the hot button issue right now. Yeah. Um, you, you know, we've got to work with other States to become reciprocal to Kentucky because we, we have more to lose than anybody here. I mean, um, you know, the wine industry has got a 50 year head start and they're in 46 States where, you know, we can ship to 12. What is the, um, this is not something I never even talked to you about before. I don't think, but what's the KDA's position on like the secondary market and some of that kind of stuff. Well, uh, we really don't have a position as much as we tried to address that with the Vintage Spirits Law back in 2017. Um, Because, um, you know, one of my favorite things about going to Washington is sitting down with Bill Thomas, you know, and and Jack Rose, which Mm -hmm. is bourbon fantasy land up there, right? Um, I got to do that one time with Jimmy Russell, and boy, that was a night to remember. And Jimmy shut the place down. We were all ready to go home, and Jimmy was still rocking and rolling. Um, Awesome. And... uh, and, and, you know, but we're like, Bill, where are you getting all these great bottles? And he's just like, well, I'm coming to Kentucky and raiding your attics and, you know, all your dusties and stuff like that. And we're like, well, Dan, we want the world's best liquor libraries, uh, spirits libraries to be in Kentucky. 
So we started working the legislature on that and, and, uh, and boy, we got it. And again, that was one of those things that it didn't, didn't really help the distilleries, right? Uh, anything, but you know, it doesn't help us sell another bottle, but it continues to cement Kentucky's rightful place as the one true and authentic home for bourbon. Um, and it's a great for consumers and it's great for the tourism industry. And so we got that bill passed and, um, I, I, I love now that you've seen, you know, you, you know, package stores that are specializing in this and silver dollar is getting ready to build. I think another big thing downtown on whiskey row. Um, so for us, you know, that was our way of kind of working within the confines of the law and changing a law to mirror what Washington DC was already doing to allow these sales and put those bottles back in circulation so consumers can enjoy them. Um, and, and every month, uh, I, I send an open records request over to the ABC and get the vintage spirits sales documents and records and send those out to our members so they can see what, you know, what's being sold and transacted and everything. How many, how many has, how many legal transactions has there been? There, you usually see, uh, anywhere between five to a dozen, uh, uh, not just transactions, but reports okay. every month. And some of them might be, like last month, I saw somebody bought uh, six 1972 Jim Beam Football Hall of Fame decanters. You know, uh, I don't know why, but um, but they bought them. You know, I'm sure they right. put them on, the, on their shelves. And then you'll see something place like Justin's House of Bourbon that will send in, you know, uh, six Excel spreadsheets of, of all their pickups, wow. you know. Um, so it, it's still early enough. I mean, again, that was just a couple of years ago that we're still seeing that. Uh, that kind of take off. But we even, you know, some people who, um, you know, don't always agree with the case positions have even said that that was a great thing for Kentucky to do. Um, and um, I'm surprised I, and that more states haven't done it because it, it really has. Um, I think it, it's, you know, it, it has maybe not stabilized the secondary market here, but it gives a consumer a legal outlet mm-hmm. for you to go and and sell and, and buy those spirits now. And you brought up shipping. Why is it so many people oppose the shipping of alcohol? Well, um, it's several reasons. Um, number one, I think that um, th- there are, are people who are concerned about the responsibility issue, obviously. Um, and, um, you know, and we have addressed that at the KDA. I mean, we're one of the only trade associations I don't, I don't in the world that actually has a full-time director of social responsibility. And, um, and we partner with IntelliCheck at all of our Kentucky Bourbon Trail distilleries. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, you know, we took that seriously. We, when we had, we were looking to figure out ways to, you know, check IDs and things at, at our, at our members. Um, we had a bunch of groups come to us and we got a basket of fake IDs from the ABC and ran them through every one of those programs. And only one program at Telcheck caught every one of them. And they get all their information from the DMVs. So, um, so we use them. And, and I think the last count was in, in the last year, our distilleries using Telcheck caught over a thousand fake IDs. You know, so, um, you know, going through the shipping, you know, program there, you know, at the gift shop, you're going to have that, that, uh, that responsibility check right off the bat. And then we've got great partners with UPS, mm-hmm. a, a good Kentucky homegrown company um, that, um, you know, work with them on the responsibility to make sure that they're checking IDs and things at the door. Um, I mean, I would think if you're using a fake ID, you got some cojones to go to the distillery. Right. And try <laughs> yeah, to yeah, use it, right. right. Um, you know, I, I think one of the biggest concerns um, that that we hear um, is that is this the 
the slippery slope that ends the three-tier system. Um, and that's where we probably get pushback or see pushback from most everybody. But, you know, again, wine has been doing this for 50 years now, um, and the three-tier system hasn't collapsed. Um, and every sale, every gift shop sale, even in Kentucky, is a three-tier sale. Now, it's, it's, a, it's a paper transaction, because the bottle doesn't leave the distillery and then go out and get shipped back, you know, sent back and everything else. But it is still considered a three-tier sale. So um, as long as we educate people that, you know, it, it's it's responsible, it's it's a three-tier sale, so th- that is upheld and all taxes are paid and things like that. Once you get their, arm, their arms around it, they start to feel more comfortable um, about this. But you're still going to have, uh, you know, detractors on this. But quite frankly, the consumers are demanding this. Mm-hmm. And as we've seen in every other thing, it, the, I'm definitely one of the big ones. The consumers are going to win, right? I mean, that's why, you know, you look at, you know, Sears, JCPenney, Toys R Us, you know, all these brick and mortar stores, you know, are closing because the Amazons of the world and other things, you can get anything delivered now, you know, within an hour even. Um, I'm a big Kroger Clicklist, you know, uh, a fan. You can do things like that. So that's the way the market is heading. And the, our challenge has been getting in front of it to making sure it's done right. It's done responsibly. It's done with parity. So if it's, if, if it's going to be good for wine, it's going to be good for spirits. It's going to be good for beer. Um, and uh, making sure that the three-tier system is upheld. Yeah. And I think it's going to be good for producers and everybody else to make mm-hmm. sure that is at the end of the day, you know, more money goes back in their pocket. They can invest into their business. Absolutely. But the distributors still play a, a crucial role to be able to get it into the hands of the liquor stores that are around the country that people aren't going to go buy online. They're still Target still does amazing job of just brick and mortar of getting people in the store when you think you only need to go there for paper towels and then you leave it with a hundred dollars later of a bunch of crap in your cart, right? So right. it's <laughs> it's like the the so the it's still there at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean we could not survive without our wholesale partners. I mean if if they told us today, oh yeah, you can direct ship from the distillery without going through the future so we'd go, you're crazy. Because we we don't have the I mean we're in the business of making whiskey, right? They're in the business of getting it to the market. So you know, they've got to be a vital part of this, uh, of this whole discussion. And they are. Um, so in Kentucky, uh, there's uh, drafts bills that are going through right now. And I think we will see um, some, you know, some legislation this year. Absolutely. So there's one last question I kind of want to wrap it up with as we as we kind of finish this is that, you know, kind of bringing it back here to Kentucky. Um, there is a, there's also a turf war also kind of going on here as well. You know, I think Mayor Fisher always said it best. He goes, he goes, you know, Barstown is the bourbon capital of the world, but Louisville is the epicenter. So kind of talk about like, where does the KDA, are you just kind of like, Hey, I'm Switzerland. Hey, we're Switzerland, yeah. man. <laughs> I was going to say we're Switzerland. We, um, yeah, we, we, bourbonism, right? Did you say bourbonism just then? Cause no, no, we you, have to drink. Yeah. If and every time Greg Fisher says bourbonism, you have to drink. Um, Look, Louisville uh, has led the way. There, there's no doubt about it. Even before I took this job, Louisville was promoting uh, Kentucky bourbon and bourbon country and things and and doing a fantastic job at it. Um, and other cities are just now evolving. And Barstown is one of them. Um, you know, what, Fred, five years ago, you had Willett and that was about it. Yeah, well, you know, you had uh, Hill Heaven there, Heaven obviously, Hill. but they didn't have a distillery there. Uh, yeah. you, you had the visitor center, but from from an actual operating distillery, you had Willett. Um, Heaven Hill had a great visitor center, one of the first visitor centers, and is still, you know, at the epicenter of, of Bargetown. 
Um, but now you've got Lux Row and Barstown Bourbon Company and Preservation and, mm-hmm. and, and you know, um, and now they're getting hotels, you know, they're, yeah, so. well, you know, and, that, and that's been one of the, the biggest, you know, um, people, you know, concerned about Barstown is because there was just really not many places to stay. Um, and again, you know, you can go to Louisville and that they're building a new hotel a week there and you've got the dining experience and everything else. So, so yes, so other communities are really stepping up their game now um, because they understand, you know, that, that the, the, your typical bourbon tourist is a very affluent demographic, right? Um, they're a younger demographic. They've got money to spend. Um, they're staying longer. They're coming in packs. And so that's why you see Owensboro, Lexington, Pikeville, you know, Northern Kentucky really upping its game with the B line. Yeah. yeah. Northern Kentucky is bringing it hard. They are, you know, so, so yes, we, we support all of, all of these people. Like you, you can't have enough of that sort of stuff, but we do like to have fun. Mayor Shekels when, when, in Barstown, when he was mayor, um, every time, um, Mayor Fisher would say something about, um, you know, Louisville being the center of the epicenter, there'd be a phone call between them and, and we'd like to have fun with them and each other sometimes. So it's, it's a lot of lighthearted joking, but, uh, don't kid yourself. They're, those phrases are all trademarked, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, they're serious about this stuff. Louisville is now, you know, uh, promoting itself as bourbon city. Um, you know, which is uh, a new campaign. That's great. Um, it, it's, Again, it, it's fun to watch. Um, I, I, I don't think, like I said, we, we ever expected it to get to this level this fast. And so that's why the main question we always get is, you know, how, like, how long can it last? When's the bubble going to burst? And, 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 and to quote Mayor Fisher, I still think we're in the, I, I think now we're in the third inning. He always says second. I think we're in the third inning of this and you haven't even begun to scratch the surface on yeah. the, the ceiling of what bourbon. Well, bourbon. you got to remember the history of bourbon is always just about like how it's consumed. It's just the consumers consuming it. Now we have an entire lifestyle around it. We have tourism, you know, so the, there's podcasts there, on it. There's podcasts. I mean, there's parts bourbon of the plus magazine, woo! bourbon authors, there's award-winning bourbon authors, <laughs> there you go. a bourbon show. Oh, be quiet. His head, <laughs> his head's about to explode over here. Not at all. <laughs> but no, well, yeah, you're, you're, that, you're, you're exactly right. I mean, there, there's so much out there. And as long as we, you know, our job at KDA is to continue to make sure that the focus is on Kentucky bourbon, yeah. right? That, that's our job because you've got over 2000 distilleries now in all 50 States. Um, and if one of them becomes the next maker's mark, you know, again, not only does that hurt Kentucky, it, you know, it hurts our image. It hurts our visitorship. It hurts everything because Kentucky bourbon to us is one word. Oh, awesome. And if you think about it, you know, the, the job that, um, you know, the KDA has done in the last 10, 15 years, it has given us the opportunity to make our livings talking about bourbon. Yeah. So can't say no to that. That's pretty awesome. If we had a bourbon with this, I'd say cheers, but Maybe this afternoon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Responsibly, right? Responsibly. Always responsible. Always responsible. Always responsibly. So, Eric, I want to say thank you again for coming on the show today. It was a pleasure just to, again, hear about your background uh, and really where the growth of bourbon is going in your mind and all the effort that maybe people don't really know that the KDA puts in behind the scenes to, you know, influence the government and make sure that everything's happening, to make sure that distillers are happy, make sure the consumers are happy at the end of the day because... I think it's uh, it's going to be a win win for everything. Well, it's, yeah. it's it's an honor. Thank you all for for having me. But it is it really is an honor. It, like I said, it's my dream job to work for these distilleries and to get to spend time with you know not only the old guard, the Jimmy Russells and the Bill Samuels of the world, and we just lost, lost Al Young, yeah. uh, you know, months ago. And 
uh, and the new guard. Well, we've got some great entrepreneurs coming up and, and they've got fantastic ideas and, and we really want to embrace that too, because we're building the bench. That's the next generation. And for all those listening, go follow Eric on uh, Twitter. And if you like baseball, Make sure you're tuning in during Reds games. <laughs> he gets he get he loses little it. Yeah, little get a little fired up. He's uh, he's a he redhead, wants, huh? He wants to fire everybody. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Uh, I I do like uh, you know that's another issue. Sports betting right now, right, is a big issue. Oh, yeah. and we're getting sucked into that. You know, people. how is Burwin getting sucked into uh, sports betting? Well, sports betting and gambling. If you put casinos in Kentucky, you figure we're going to sell a lot more whiskey, right? Okay. Yeah. So people are asking us, it, this goes back to where we started this conversation. Uh, 10 years ago, we couldn't get a meeting up there. And now, you know, again, we're, we're honored to be seen as a powerful lobby in Frankfurt. And if people want to get something passed, they come and ask for our support. And that's that it hasn't been that long ago that that was not the way it happened. So, wow. um, you know, we we have to be careful on things like that because there are, you know, both you know two sides to every issue. But, um, you know, when our board meets and I've got to give a real quick shout out to them because they are the visionaries and the the guardians of this industry. Um, if we ever have a discussion where there's a disagreement, the first thing question that they ask themselves is, well, what's the best thing for the industry? And if that doesn't solve the, the resolve the issue, the second thing they ask is what is best for the Commonwealth? Wow. And at that point, you, you've got your solution. And so I, I've got to give a tip of the hat to them because they really make my job a lot easier. Well, fantastic. That's great to know. Yeah. Everybody's working together. That's Te- right. They say teamwork makes the dream work. Mm-hmm. Stealing that too. <laughs> <laughs> so Eric, just uh, one last chance. If you if anybody wants to be able to find out more about KDA, yeah. where do they do it? I'm, I don't know if you want to give your email address out either. To, you well, know, KYBourbon.com. There you uh, go. We're on there and we're getting ready to revamp the website because uh, it's like a few years old. Uh, and uh, KYBourbonTrail.com. Uh, we just revamped the Kentucky Bourbon Trail website last year with more of the consumer in mind. And I think that's what you're going to see with the new KYBourbon.com uh, website as well. Uh, KY Bourbon Affair uh, for uh, Bourbon Fantasy Camp September uh, in partnership with Bourbon Beyond. And um, those are the best ways to reach us uh, or just Google us and call us here in Frankfurt. We're always glad to help. Fantastic. So make sure you go check that out. Make sure you check out Fred Minnick on all of his socials, YouTube and Bourbon Plus and Twitter and Facebook and Instagram but also us, Bourbon Pursuit, on all those social media channels. Uh, make sure you leave us a podcast rating if you can, ratemypodcast.com slash bourbon, or ratethispodcast.com slash bourbon. And if you do like the show, try to support us, patreon.com slash bourbonpursuit. With that, gentlemen, thank you again for joining me today. It was a fantastic conversation. Know more about the future of bourbon, but we'll have to come back again here in a year or two and kind of see if, it, uh, see if it's all coming true. Go Brewers. <laughs> 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 Cheers, everyone. Cheers. Cheers.